Hi, guys. I just wanted to say happy holidays to all of my listeners. I appreciate you all so very much, and because of that, I've decided to release one of my Patreon-exclusive episodes as a little holiday treat. So I hope you like this little surprise, and of course, if you like it a lot, you can head on over to patreon.com, where you'll find other episodes just like it waiting for you. Happy Christmas to everyone who's celebrating it, and best wishes for 2019. You're listening to the Mens Rea podcast, and this is the story of the Haw family. was a teacher at Orristown National School in County Meath. She had grown up in Mount Nugent, County Cavan, and she had three sons, Liam, 13, Niall, 11, and Ryan, just six. She was married to Alan Haw, who was also a teacher and a vice principal at Castle Rahan National School, where the two younger boys also attended. He was originally from Kilkenny, and the family itself lived in Castle Rohan, a little village not too far from Bally James Duff in County Cavan. The summer of 2016 had been much like any other, and by the end of August, the family were all preparing to go back to their respective schools. The last weekend of the summer had been a busy one. The family had attended a memorial mass for Alan's mother in his home place in County Kilkenny, and the two older boys were involved in sports and had matches to get to. Liam had played a basketball match in Virginia County Cavan that day, and his team had won. That evening, before heading home, the Haws called into the home of Clodagh's mother, Mary Call. The adults sat and chatted over coffee and biscuits in the kitchen while the boys watched TV. The family appeared normal. That night, Ryan, the youngest, needed a bath, so the family left at about twenty to nine. The conversation at the door was that Clodagh would drop the two younger boys over to her mother's the next morning. Mrs. Call also wished Alan Hall luck starting back to school the next day, but he said he wasn't looking forward to it. She knew that there had been some issues with colleagues, and that there was to be a meeting soon to hash things out. It was understandable that Alan wasn't relishing the end of summer with that waiting for him. Either way, the family were in good form as they went out the front door, Mrs. Cole gave a round of hugs and kisses to the children, and then waved them off. On the morning of the 29th of August, Mary Cole waited for Clodagh to arrive over from Castle Rahan. She was expecting her daughter at about half eight in the morning, but Clodagh didn't show, and there was no answer to any of the family's phones. So Mrs. Cole got into her car and made her way to the family's house to see what had delayed Clodagh, and to make sure that everything was all right. But everything was not all right. When she got to the house, she saw that the two cars were still in the drive, and all the curtains were drawn. She knew something was wrong, and the first thing to pop into her head was that maybe there had been carbon monoxide poisoning in the house or something. But then she saw a note in the window of the back door of the house. It read, Don't come in. 
call the Gardaí. She recognized the writing as Alan's, and she knew immediately that something was very, very wrong. Mrs. Cole went to a neighbor's house and called the Gardaí. Garda Ashling Walsh arrived on the scene and was the first to enter the house. On the kitchen table, she saw a letter and a sealed envelope, both with bloodstains on them. Clodagh was found face down on the couch in the sitting room. She was still in her pyjamas and dressing gown. There was a pool of blood on the couch beneath her, and she'd obviously suffered injuries to her head and neck. There was a knife and a small hand axe next to her on the floor. The three boys were upstairs, each with their throats slashed. The two older ones in the room that they shared, and Ryan in his own room. Each boy had the duvet cover pulled up over them. A bloody knife had been left on Ryan's pillow. Later, defensive wounds would be found on Cloda and the two older boys. They'd fought back and had died first. Alan had hanged himself. He was found in the hallway. In the main bedroom, Cloda's jewellery boxes were found neatly stacked on the bed. Alan had also left out important financial documents where they would be found easily and had logged onto their online banking and transferred all the funds from the family's shared account to his personal one. The house was closed off as a crime scene and the Garda Technical Bureau were called in to carry out forensic examinations of the house. Garda Assistant Commissioner John O'Driscoll said of the circumstances of the five deaths, quote, Nothing had happened prior to this grim discovery this morning that gave rise to anyone, including Angarda Shiakana, having any suspicion that anything untoward was going on and this family were engaged with the community and seen yesterday. None of the activity and interaction with other people gave rise to any suspicion as to what was to happen. End quote. News broke right away that there had been a quote-unquote tragic incident at a house near Bally James Duff, where all five members of a family had been killed. The nature of the tragedy was indicated to the public by the statement that followed after. Gardies say that they are not looking for any other person in relation to this tragic incident. As details emerged over the following days, headlines appeared, asking obvious and pertinent questions like what had happened that this pillar of the community had killed his whole family. Alan Hall was written about in terms that described him like his friends and neighbours and students had known him. A lovely man, a good father and neighbour, kind, normal. Pieces discussed how it was time, as a country, for us to discuss mental health issues openly, that we should learn something from this tragedy that had wiped out a family. Some papers published pictures of that family. Often these pictures had someone missing. Cloda. In some reports, her name wasn't even mentioned. She was just called Alan's wife. Within a week, the hashtag, her name was Cloda, was trending on Twitter in Ireland. People pointed out that we didn't know what had gone on in the Haw household. We didn't know the private circumstances, barely any of the circumstances at all, of this family who had been murdered brutally by its father. What began as a conversation about mental health awareness for men in Ireland had turned into one about domestic violence, family annihilation, and what went on behind closed doors. People began pointing out that one in five women in Ireland will be affected by intimate partner violence. Less than half of that is reported to the police. 
Half of women who are killed suffer at the hands of their partners or ex-partners. Who was to say what Clodagh Hawes life had been? She was not alive to tell her story. But as these discussions about mental health and domestic violence were spat back and forth across newspaper articles and tweets and threads on internet message boards, two families and an entire community was preparing for a funeral mass. The Hall family, by nature of their professions and personalities, had had a strong presence in the community. As primary school teachers, they had strong links with the local church, given the majority of the children there would go through the Catholic rites of passage of First Holy Communion and Confirmation in the church, and the catechism lessons would be delivered in the classrooms of their primary school. In fact, the Halls considered the parish priest, Father Phelan Kelly, a friend of the family, and he would often call round to their house for a chat and a cup of tea. Alan particularly was also involved in the local GAA club, the Gaelic Athletics Association, which, for my overseas listeners, is the organising body of traditional Irish sports games like Gaelic football and hurling. The GAA often plays a large role in communities and has good links with local schools, especially in the more rural areas. Or, at least that's my impression, I was never into the Gaelic thing and only vaguely know how it works. Anyway, Alan was big into GAA, and his sons played for their age groups in the area as well. All this adds up to a prominent, popular family. And this would be pretty unremarkable, normal even, if it hadn't been for the violent acts of Alan Hall. The funerals for the Hall family took place on the 3rd of September 2016, in their parish church in Castle Rahan, St. Mary's. Five black hearses wound their way through the small town and were met at the church by a crowd of thousands of mourners. Father Kelly, the family friend, gave the joint funeral mass. He was able to speak personally on what the Hall family had been like and related a story from visiting them on Christmas Day the year before. He said the adults had stood in the kitchen, Cloda organising drinks and food for them, acting as ban on tea, as he called it, the woman of the house, and the children were all playing with their toys. When Father Kelly asked the boys what they'd gotten, They'd shown him the Lego sets and invited the priest down to the floor to play with them. They were generous kids who wanted to share in the fun and include an old man in their games. Though the family were comfortable financially, he said that the kids weren't spoilt and they were well behaved, always respectful. The priest did add, though, that little Ryan always had a bit of a glint of mischief in his eyes. He recalled that Alan at this occasion had stood with his back to the kitchen sink watching the antics take place and smiling on at his family, enjoying themselves. Both the extended Haw and Call families attended the funeral. Alan's uncle placed a Kilkenny GAA jersey on his coffin. Clodagh's mother sat a family photograph on hers. Liam's got a basketball, Niles a trophy, and a stuffed woolly dog was placed on little Ryan's, each item saying something about the person that these families and the community had lost. Father Kelly told the mourners, there's a dark side too. How so much goodness could be destroyed? How such happiness could be invaded? How? Why? It is not for us to seek answers or to surmise behaviour, end quote. Clodagh's mother, who had taken a lead role in making the funeral arrangements, insisted that the family be interred together. So all five coffins were placed in one plot, and the family grave was marked. Some people remarked that this was odd, given the circumstances of the deaths. 
But at the time of the funeral, the families were insistent that those that they loved, the whole family, should be laid to rest together. And there they stayed. Until May 2017, when the coffin containing the body of Alan Hall was exhumed from the plot and was cremated. What became of the ashes is unknown to the public. A year after the deaths of Cloda and her three sons, a memorial service was held on the Sunday in their memory in the church in Castle Rahan. This kind of service is pretty run-of-the-mill after death, and it was understandable given that the family had died in violent circumstances, shaking the community at large, as well as the immediate family, that the service itself was a bit larger than normal. What was noted as unusual was a mass held a few days later, on a Wednesday, in memory of Alan Hall. The parish priest later commented that he had no control over what masses he was requested to say, and had no idea who had in fact requested the mass for Alan. But Clodagh's family had been against it. They did not attend the service, and in fact stood vigil at the graveside of Clodagh, Niall, Liam and Ryan while the mass was being held, in a sort of protest. It appeared that a year on, after the reality of the horrific murder-suicide had sunk in with Clodagh's family, they were no longer willing to mourn the loss of Alan, alongside Clodagh and the boys. There was, of course, no criminal proceeding in this case. There was no one left to prosecute for the killing of Clodagh, Liam, Niall and Ryan, but there would have to be an inquest into all five deaths, to ascertain what had happened, and to determine the cause of deaths in the bungalow that day. The inquest was held in Cavan County Courthouse on the 18th of December, 2017. The first witness to take the stand was Mary Cole. She briefly outlined what had happened that weekend, that the family had visited her, and that she was expecting her daughter that morning and went to investigate when she didn't show. She was understandably upset while giving evidence, and at one point she had to take a break, given her distress. Still, her evidence mercifully lasted only a few minutes. Next to be heard was the responding guard on the scene, Ashling Walsh. She shed tears as she described finding the boys dead in their beds. The deputy state pathologist, Dr. Michael Curtis, said that Cloda and the two older boys had possible defensive injuries on their bodies. He could not say with certainty the order that the deaths occurred in, but said that his impression was that Clodagh and Liam had been killed first, in order to circumvent any attempt to stop Alan from carrying out his plan. All the deaths would have occurred very quickly. He told the coroner and the jury of five women and one man that Alan Haw had no drugs or alcohol in his system at his time of death. Dr. McKevitt, the Hall family's general practitioner, the local doctor, told the inquest about the last time she had seen Alan Hall. He had come to her with a complaint about his toe. He said it was bothering him, and he told her that he had tried to treat it himself with bleach. Dr. McKevitt told him not to try that again, and gave him a fungal cream to treat the minor ailment that seemed to be bothering him so much. But as the consultation went on, Haw told her that he was stressed as well. He said that there had been a conflict in work and that he was worried about it. He wasn't sleeping properly and had mouth ulcers. 
She gave him sleeping tablets to get him through the next few days and asked him if he wanted a medical certificate to excuse him from work. But Alan said he'd be fine, that he just needed to get through it. Dr. McKevitt told the inquest that Alan had said he would be off on holidays in just a few days and he was sure that he would feel better by then. She told the inquest that she detected no delusion or agitation in Hall when she last saw him. A Professor Kennedy from the Central Mental Hospital had been engaged by the court to review Alan's medical history and to conduct a sort of mental health post-mortem. He studied Hall's medical records, his counselling notes, and his suicide notes, and gave what was referred to as a retrospective diagnosis. Kennedy was of the view that Hall had suffered from a worsening depressive illness and had undergone a completely unnoticed descent into psychosis. The psychosis was indicated by his catastrophizing minor upsets, making mountains out of molehills. Kennedy pointed to Hall's complaint about his sore toe. He said that Alan had been fixated on this relatively minor problem, that he'd blown it out of all proportion and had gone to the seemingly extreme length of treating it with harsh chemicals. Further, Professor Kennedy said that Alan had suffered with stress, anxiety, and mild depression from 2008, and that this worsened over time, resulting in the tragic events of August 29, 2016. In fact, Alan had written that he had wanted to kill himself for a long time, but, quote, could not bear the thought of leaving my mess and the anger and rejection, end quote, that Cloda and the boys would have to live with. The jury were handed copies of the letters that Alan Haw had left on his kitchen table. They were not read aloud nor made public at that time. After hearing all the facts and a short deliberation, the jury reached the recommended verdict. The jury foreperson announced in a shaking voice that the deaths had been the result of an unlawful killing. Afterwards, Liam Keane, a solicitor speaking on behalf of Cloda's family, gave a statement. Quote, on the 29th of August 2016, we lost our daughter and sister Cloda and her lovely sons Liam, Nile, and Ryan in the most horrific circumstances. They were savagely and brutally killed by Alan Haw in a premeditated and calculated manner. We are aware that the inquest has a limited role in law, and that its function is restricted to establishing how, where, and when our loved ones died. However, it's clear from the evidence presented at the inquest that Cloda and her boys were killed in a sequence that ensured that the eldest and most likely to provide effective resistance were killed first, and that they were executed in a manner which rendered them unable to cry out for help. The inquest does not address why Alan Haw committed this savagery, but his counsellor has said that he was concerned about his position as a pillar of the community, and we are aware that he was concerned at his imminent fall from that position and the breakdown of his marriage. Whilst the psychiatrist has attempted, as best he could, to create a retrospective diagnosis based on notes and records, his GP, who knew him for five years, said that he never displayed any signs of depression. End quote. So despite the inquest, the mystery still remained. Why had Alan Haw done this? His family were saying that he had no real history of depression, but indicated that he was worried about an imminent fall from his position as a so-called pillar of the community. What in the world had happened? 
It soon emerged after the inquest that, back in March 2016, Alan Ha had started to see a counsellor for difficulties in his marriage. In December 2017, the Sun newspaper reported that this difficulty had been caused by Alan accessing porn. It distressed Cloda, and Alan had gone to counselling as a result of this. What's more, the paper revealed that the incident in work that had been weighing on Alan and causing him stress in the run-up to the new school term had also been caused by porn. The paper said that Alan had been caught pleasuring himself at his desk while viewing adult material in his office. Given what he was doing and where he was doing it, this caused problems for him professionally. And when it got back to Cloda, she was upset. But what Alan feared more, it would seem, was how the community around him would view him. This embarrassing incident was life-changing in his eyes. He would be made a mockery of. His position as a pillar of the community would be shaken. The way other people saw him and the way he saw himself would forever be changed by it. And that was utterly unthinkable to him. After his suicide and the murder of his family, Gardy searched his computer, and what they found was shocking, but for all the wrong reasons. It was just run-of-the-mill porn. Nothing illegal, nothing out there, or things that might have been off-putting in polite company. It would seem that Alan Haw had wiped out his entire family because he couldn't bear the idea that people might make fun of him and that there might be whispered giggles behind raised hands about how he'd taken a private moment in his office and been walked in on. Soon after the inquest, details of a three-page letter that had been sealed in an envelope and left on the family's kitchen table emerged also. Again, according to the Sun newspaper, it read in part, quote, I'm sorry for how I murdered them all, but I had no other way. I had to do this. I can't leave the boys orphans. I just couldn't up and leave them. Please believe me that on this day, Cloda and the boys were happy. I've wanted to kill myself for a long time now, and I could not bear the thought of leaving my mess and the anger and rejection that Cloda and the boys would have to live with forever. I didn't want them to be thought of as less than by people just because of the way their father was. End quote. Haw also detailed how he believed he was suffering from a form of psychosis in the letter. He wrote, quote, All the good stuff we did I was really into, but I think there was some psychosis in me that I really enjoyed it, and then the next moment I was the complete opposite. He added, quote, God bless you all. Don't give up on life because of me. Be good to your families. I'm sorry for all this. Please cremate me and dump me in the sea. Do not bury me with a family or as a Catholic. End quote. So, that's the story of the killing of Cloda, Liam Nile, and Ryan Haw, and the death of Alan Haw. It's one of those stories that has no real ending. There's literally no one left alive who can give any real insight into what living in that house was like, or whether this is a case of domestic abuse or the slow and imperceptible decline of mental health into psychosis. Whether Alan Haw was a controlling man who feared nothing more than a loss of status in his community, and so killed himself and his family as an extension of himself, or whether he was ill and catastrophizing an incident in work, thinking that because of this admittedly highly inappropriate mistake, 
that his life was over and that this shame would spill onto his blameless family. The public is left with nothing but questions, really, unsure as to what in the world led to this murder-suicide, and with no way to try and tell ourselves that it could never happen to us, or to the people we know. There is no reassurance here. Murder-suicide is very, very rare, but there have been a number of high-profile cases in Ireland in recent years, somewhere siblings have killed each other or parents killing children. I suppose what's striking about the Hall case is that there was no strong narrative of the murders, and we're just left wondering. Well, that's it for this month, guys. Thanks again for listening and for supporting. It is such a great help to grow the podcast and keep the show running. Welcome aboard to all of those who have joined up in the last month. Swag will be in the post shortly. The next bonus episode will be out on the first Sunday of December. December. Guys, this year is flying. Oh, and also happy birthday to one of our lovely patrons. Her birthday happens to fall on a Sunday this year, and she happens to be my big sister. So happy birthday, Louise. Thanks for listening. As per usual, all my sources for this month are in the post, and music is Quinsong First Dance by Kevin MacLeod. Anyway, thank you again to all of you. You guys really are my favorite people. Till next time, guys. Mind yourselves.